Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And I want to tie this message in with the last message that I preached from Sunday night. The message was called Speak Life. And if you didn't hear it, you can go back on our website and hear it. This is going to be kind of like a part two. I'm not intending to do a series, although we'll see what happens as God gives us understanding. I've really been inspired in these last few days thinking about the theme of speaking life, using the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says that death and life are where? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every time you speak, you are speaking either death or you are speaking life. There is incredible power in your words tonight. And as I've been pondering and thinking and praying about that topic, uh, I came across this scripture which began to inspire me once again on this idea. Let me, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard the story about a school teacher uh, back in the hippie generation when the 1960s were ending, San Francisco had a school district uh, where many hippies began to move down the coast toward Santa Cruz. As they got a little bit older, of course, even hippies settled down and had children and got married. Uh, not, not in that particular order. But uh, for some reason, that generation... Uh, gave their children some strange names. Names not like Melissa or Brent or Christopher or John or Peter. Somehow, people out in the mountains in Santa Cruz grew accustomed to naming their children things like Moonbeam or Time Warp or Spring Fever. If you're from California, we got a few Californians here. Maybe... Uh, Name their, you, you've run into some people of this age group. They're named uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, or Precious Promise, or uh, uh, Captain Moonbeam. And, and so the problem with naming your children something like that is that they have to go to school. And so as, uh, as these children begin to come into this school district, the kindergarten teachers one day met a child named fruit stand. And every fall, according to tradition, parents would bravely apply their name tags to their children, kiss them goodbye, and send them off to school on the bus. And so it was for young fruit stand. The teachers thought the boy's name was extremely odd, but they thought to make the best of it. Would you like to play with some blocks, fruit stand? They offered. How about a snack, fruit stand? He accepted, but was looking strangely at them. By the end of the day, his name didn't seem any stranger than Heather or Sunray or Moonbeam. 
And at time for dismissal, the teachers brought the children out to the school buses. Fruit stand, do you know which one is your bus? But he wasn't answering. That was strange. He didn't answer them all day. It seemed like he couldn't hear them. Many children, though, are shy on the first day of school. It didn't matter so much. The teachers had given instructions to the parents to write the names of their children's bus stop on the back side of their name tags. Finally, the teacher realized that they had been looking at the wrong side of the tag all day. And there on the other side was the word Anthony. There's a problem when you give someone the incorrect name. Maybe you saw this in the news recently that there was a Southwest gate agent that ran into a real-world problem. A woman had named her child A, B, C, D, E. And as soon as the ticket came to this gate agent, they're there at the airport, and they need to call the name out. And uh, she begins to read the name and breaks out in laughter. (laughs) Why would you name your kid A, B, C, D, E? The problem is there's a five-year-old girl standing there. Apparently, this is a, a, a... name that's gaining popularity. It's pronounced Absidy. <laughs> and, uh, and so this mother of this child named Absidy began to be infuriated. You're mocking my child in public. You're going to cause permanent damage to their psych. And she, she had to publicize it, went to the news. Everybody got upset. And, uh, and Southwest had to come out and publicly acknowledge it. Uh, profusely apologized to this mother. We're so sorry that our gate agent mocked your daughter, A, B, C, D, E. See, this is a problem. when There is great power in a name. In a name. We don't see it so often anymore in in modern society, but names carry great weight. We're going to read a scripture tonight about how God allowed Adam to give names. And there is something very incredible here tonight that if you'll catch it, I believe God will help you. Can you say amen? So this is a message I've titled, The Name Giver. Genesis 2, verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Listen to this. Whatever Adam called the living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I want to title this again, The Name Giver. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, tonight we come by the blood of Jesus. Help us to realize once again the power of of the words that you have put in our mouths, the power of the tongue, the life and the death that is behind every word that we speak. And I'm praying tonight as we have taken this challenge to speak life for 30 days that we would understand, Lord, that this authority to speak with power, it does not originate with us, but God, you are the one who has given us that authority. And I'm praying that we would use it tonight for your glory, that we would use our tongues, God, to build up, God, to edify, to encourage Lord, to bring life into every situation and not to bring death and discouragement in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say tonight, 
Amen. I want to examine with you for a few moments the meaning of names, especially in the Bible. Now, today in our modern world, we don't put as much uh, emphasis on this anymore. You know, it's not a big deal if you name a kid uh, Johnny or Susie. I mean, you know, it should be a boy name for a boy and a girl name for a girl, you would hope. Uh, but all of those lines are being blurred in our generation. And the meaning of names, you know, you, you could look at one guy named Greg versus one guy named Joe, and really the, the meaning of their name is not so important. You get to know the person, you need to know their values, what they care about. The name is not as important as it probably once was. But I want to tell you that that is not the case in the Bible. When you read the Bible, every name has a meaning. Every name has a meaning. Those names that they would give their children in the Bible, in the Hebrew language especially, the Jewish people, they would give names to these children for various reasons. There is occasions that sometimes the baby is named after the situation that has just happened to the parents. For example, uh, when Moses was pulled out of the water, the reason Moses got his name in Egypt was because uh, the, grand, the, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh was taking a bath in the river Nile, and here comes a baby floating down the river. She pulls him out of the water, and she says, I'm going to name this baby. I pulled it out of the water. That's what Moses literally means. And, uh, and it, the, 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 the real meaning behind the name is to pull someone out. It means a deliverer. So his name went on to mean something more, but initially... It was just exactly what happened to that child. So she says, I'll give it that name. And so there's many children who are named that way. Um, there are children who are named based on a hope or a dream that the, that the parents would have for them. Uh, there is the occasion of uh, one baby who was born. His name was born Ichabod. It means the glory of the Lord has departed. Why would you name your child that horrible name, the glory of the Lord has departed. Well, it's because of what was happening to Israel at that time. They had lost a great battle. The prophet had just kicked the bucket. And so everybody was sad and mourning. And so they named the child based on the circumstances that were happening. Ichabod, the glory of the Lord, has departed. There are many reasons why names were important in the Bible. But the most important reason that someone could name their child is to communicate a message about that person. So let's look at a couple examples so you can get the feel for where I'm going tonight. There is, there is a one person in the Bible named Jacob. Jacob, who is the younger brother of Esau, the reason that they gave him the name Jacob, the, the name literally, literally means a scammer, a schemer, someone who surplants, someone who takes the place. And the reason why he got that name is interesting because at the birth moment that he stuck his hand out first, right? So the twins are being born. He sticks out his hand. And in Jewish culture, the firstborn is very critical, very important, because the firstborn is going to have the double portion. And he sticks out a hand from mama, and they tie a little ribbon to it. He pulls his hand back in, and then the other one is born first. And they said, this kid, there's something about this kid. He's a scammer. He knows how to work the system, man. And so uh, Jacob, even though he's the second born, there's something about him. He's called Jacob, the scammer, the schemer. 
And we know that Jacob, he goes through this incredible process that that name says something about his character. It defined who he was and who he was going to be. Now you fast forward a little bit down the road, and Jacob is going to step into his destiny. He's going to become the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But God is looking at this man and saying, I can't bring you to that position if this is going to be your character. And he says to Jacob, if you're going to be the man that I want you to be, you're going to have to have a change of character, which means a change of your name. And that's exactly what happens. Along the road one night, Jacob is nervous about meeting his older brother. Esau's ticked off at him as he was for most of his life. And he's afraid of meeting Esau about what's going to happen. Is this guy going to kill me or what? And so he, he begins to struggle with God. He begins to wrestle. And the Bible says an angel of the Lord shows up and wrestles with Jacob. And he strives with him. Jacob won't give up the fight. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And there is something in Jacob's spirit. I need you to change me. And he says, what is your name? And Jacob, it's like a self-revelation. I'm Jacob. And this angel touches the, the socket of his hip. And from that moment on, he walked differently. It was a symbol. I've changed who you are, Jacob. I changed the way you walk. I changed the way you think. And as a sign of that, I changed your name. And what did his name become? Israel. The same name that exists today in the Middle East. The same name. Do you know what the name Israel means in Hebrew? Anybody? The prince with God. That's quite a change, isn't it? It is one who has struggled and has overcome. Someone who has won a battle and has come out on the side of God. This is the meaning of the name. God is saying to Jacob, I can't have you stay the same because your name is important. And now, now that he's Israel, he can become the father of 12 tribes of Israel. That's why they're called that, because they were his 12 sons. Biblical names established an affiliation with God. Let's think about Abram for a moment. Abram, we know, is, is, uh, is exalted by three of the world's greatest religions, Christianity, Judaism, and of course, uh, the Muslim tradition. All of them look to Abraham as the father of our faith, but he was not always Abraham, was he? In fact, for most of the story in the Bible, if you go back, uh, uh, last year I did a whole series on the life of Abraham. For most of the story in the Bible, he is known as Abram, A-B-R-A-M, Abram. And eventually he came to the point where God says, if I'm going to use you, Abram, I'm going to have to add something to you. And in the Hebrew, this is far more, uh, far more meaningful than it is in the English. He added that word H, that letter H to his name, Abram. Ham, and it has the, the meaning of the Spirit of God. It's almost like he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. It added the H, same thing with Sarai. Her name in the beginning was S-A-R-A-I, Sarai. But when God, when they begin to step into their destiny, God says, I can't have that old you anymore. i got to change. i got to add something to you. And again, they named, renamed her S-A-R-A-I. What? H, it's the Spirit of God. He added the Pentecostal fire to both of them. He added to them to their character 
which means he had to add to their name, Abraham, Sarah. It means tonight that they were both established with an affiliation with God. Let's skip to the New Testament. One more example. When Jesus came on the scene and began to choose his disciples, one of the first that came was Simon. Simon, which is a, which is a name, and, and its literal meaning simply means a little pebble or a little stone, the kind that you would kick on the side of the road, a pebble. But along the way, Jesus speaks to Simon. He disciples him. He changes him. He teaches him. Simon begins to rise up in his leadership abilities. Simon begins to speak for the rest of them. He has this uh, this this characteristic of being a leader and Jesus begins to call him by a new name doesn't he he calls him Simon Peter and the connotation the meaning behind the name Peter is not a little stone it means a giant massive foundational stone the name Peter means a rock which cannot be moved what a wonderful change. He said, Peter, once you were just a little pebble that could be kicked around by this life, but now I'm changing you. You're going to be the foundation of my church. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Can I tell you, this is the same kind of work that God is doing in your life. There are many cultures, there are many Christian traditions around the world that they actually do this. I love it. There are many places in Africa where there are still... Uh, there are still tribal traditions. There are still uh, religions of the back country. And people will come into the church and they'll get saved. They begin to learn about Jesus and they will give them a Christian name. We had a guy in our church back in Bulgaria. He was from Nigeria. And so his, his original Nigerian name, the name that he received from his parents, was Obich. Ikeli Obich. I guess that's a very Igbo name in, uh, in Nigeria. But when he got... When he got baptized, he came into the church, he got baptized, and guess what they did? They gave him a new name, called him Emmanuel, and that was the name he preferred. He said, Pastor, don't call me Obich, don't call me E. Kelly, that's the name that was on his identification, but he says, my real name is my Christian name, it's Emmanuel. I think that that's a good tradition. Now, many of us here in the West, uh, we have traditional Hebrew or Christian biblical names because of this tradition right here. Bible names are important. A name is far more than just what is written on your identification card. It carries a message. When you read about names in the Bible, those names have a message, and that is important to the story. And for that reason, I would encourage everybody in here to figure out how to use a concordance. Say, so Figure out what? A concordance. It is basically a Bible. It is a dictionary for the Bible. It takes the original words and it tells you the meaning of them in the original language. And you will find so much insight. You will find out, for example, that the name Jesus is not really accurate as it comes to us in English. The original name for Jesus has been transcribed from the Greek. But that Greek name was not his original name. Do you know what his original name is in Hebrew? His name was Yeshua. And that is exactly the same name as the fifth book of the Bible, Joshua. Did you know that? Jesus was named after Joshua, the greatest deliverer of the Old Testament, the man who took the people into the promised land. He was named after Joshua. We find an insight there that we didn't know because 
maybe you never knew his Hebrew name. That's important stuff. Every name has a meaning, has a connection. And by the way, the name literally means the Lord will, the Lord is salvation, Yeshua. So let's look at our scripture. Now that you can understand and grasp how important names are and how important it is, if names are so important to God, and who do you suppose should be giving them? You would think that if this job of giving a name is so important, that God would do it himself. You know what they say, right? If you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself. But when God created Adam in the garden, he did something surprising. He gave Adam his creation, this pinnacle of creation. After God created all of the stars, and the Bible says that he named them. He named the stars. He created the planets. He named the planets. He created the comets. He named the comets. He created all of creation, the constellations. They were in place, and God had named them all. All of the heavenly bodies that were there, God said, those are mine, and I named them. This is how you do it, Adam. And then he came to the earth, and he created all of the animals, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Can you imagine how many species are out there today? Millions and millions. And they started out... Uh, They started out fewer, but they've become more and more over time. But still, can you imagine how creative God is? I was just watching a video last night about octopus. Have you ever studied an octopus? Those things are crazy awesome. They are amazing. They don't have any bones. They're basically a giant muscle. They uh, they uh, They have a brain for every tentacle. They have one main brain, and then they have a brain at the tip of every tentacle that controls all of those little suckers. Each of those little suckers is like a tongue. They can taste with every single one of them, over 300 of them, every single octopus. They have eyes that are far more advanced than yours. Even though they can't see in color, they still see in color somehow. They have a little beak. that they, I watched a video of one, how it was... Uh, it was going across the ocean floor, and it was using its tentacles to find some food, and, and there was this little mountain on the bottom of the ocean, and, and he detected that there was something in there hiding, so what he did is he spread all of his tentacles out, and he, there was this, like, webbing between... Dude, this is like superhero stuff, and it, the webbing spread out so that that little fish could not escape, and he began to use his little suckers, and then he brought it all in, and there's a little razor-sharp beak in the middle. What is going on? God is awesome. And the scientists tell us, oh no, it took billions and billions of years for that octopus to develop. Come on, God is creative. Look at that. And it changes the color and the texture of its skin. And it has three hearts and nine brains. Who figured that out? And that I haven't even told you about how it reproduces. Whoa, holy smokes. God is so creative. And he made all of these creatures beautiful in their own way. But the Bible says God didn't name them. He says, for this job, I have somebody else in mind. For this job, I want you to speak, Adam. Let's look at our verse. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. I want to tell you the Bible is a gift to us. Because right here in the second chapter of the book, we find everything we need for successful living. What do we find in this scripture? In three little verses, 15, 16, and 17, what do we find? We find purpose. The thing that so many people struggle for. The reason why so many people commit suicide is because they have no idea what is their purpose. I wish that they would open the Bible and look at the second chapter of Genesis because it's right here. The purpose that God gave the man is to tend and keep what he has made. Did Adam make the garden? No, God made the garden. And he said, your job now, Adam, tend and keep it. I give you the why. Why were you created? To watch over the precious things that God has put in your life. What has God put in your life that is worth something, that has value? The reason that you are here, beloved, is to tend and to keep those precious gifts. You say, I don't got nothing, Pastor. My bank account is empty. You are lying. You have so much that God has given to protect. We all have a body. We all have something to take care of. We can't treat our bodies like trash. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the living God. And on this uh, first, uh, where the gyms are filled today, I'm telling you, the parking lot's packed, can't find a spot today. And you know why? Because people realize this. My body is important. i got to take care of myself. God gave you the gift of your body. You can't just eat Cheetos and Coca-Cola every day. It's fun. You'll pay a price. God says this is a precious gift. Tend it and keep it. Not only do you have a body, you have a mind. You have a brain. Uh, I was talking with my wife about, about this challenge of speaking life, and she said, yeah, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you can say things, but you don't really mean them. You can speak with, uh, with, uh, you know, with ill intentions. And it comes out in the body language, right? So it's one thing to speak life. It's another thing to think life. You know why your reading and your words are so important? Because we think with words. Words are constantly in your mind. You can't have a thought without a word. And so your mind, beloved, your mind is a garden that God has given you. Not everybody has a, has a great garden. But your mind is a garden, and you have to tend it and keep Have you ever had a weed pop up in your mind? Have you ever had the enemy drop his nasty little seeds in your brain? Little lies from hell. You know what we got to do as tenders and keepers? We got to snip those things. Pull the weeds. Get those thoughts out of your mind. Those thoughts of self-harm. Those lies. Those, those, those things that he speaks to you, reminding you of your evil past. That God already forgave you you got to tend that garden. Keep it. Your time is a garden. Your time is precious. Can I tell you that? There's only one January 2nd of 2019. You chose the right thing tonight to come to church. You chose to use your time well, but some people didn't. Some people, you know what they're doing? Four hundred channels, can't find nothing to watch. 
Nothing but perversion. Nothing but reality TV. I've never seen anything real on reality TV. Your time is precious. God says you need to tend it and keep it. Use it well. Your money, whatever money you have or don't have, it is a treasure to be tended over, to be watched over. If you're married, you have a marriage to watch over. That's why we do this event once a year so that we can keep our marriages in good health. Your children are a garden. Your job as much as you might not want to go back after a long holiday break, your job is a garden. The people there, your boss, your relationships there, your friendships. Can I tell you what we're doing here tonight? The church is a garden, something precious, something supernatural, something more than just a club that we come together to do. No, this is God working in the earth. This is God establishing his kingdom here on planet earth. The church is a precious resource that we must tend and keep and take care of and watch over. I'm not getting any amens tonight. I'm not going to stop. This is why God made us. This is our purpose. To tend and keep the precious things that God has put in our lives. And whoever you are tonight, whatever arena of authority God has given you, and we all have something, your job is to tend, keep, and watch over. And this is exactly where the enemy attacks us. He attacks your purpose tonight. It's laziness, it's fear, it's unbelief, temptations, all of these our strategies to keep you from being a good keeper of God's creation. Look at this verse 16 of that same scripture. Here we find not just a purpose, but God gives us provision. Everybody say provision. provision. The Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Say freely. God made Adam with incredible freedom. How many garden how many trees do you suppose were in that garden? You think that there was two or three? Uh, have, a, have your choice there, Adam. Two or three. You can have the orange, the apple, or the banana. That's all you get. No. I believe there was thousands of trees, maybe millions of trees in the garden. You had eat freely. You can have a smorgasbord. You can have golden corral from every tree that you want, Adam. How much freedom does he have? Incredible. Unbelievable amounts of freedom. God made the man to be free. And he said, I'll give you all of the strength you ever need. Yes, it's going to be hard to tend and keep this garden, but I will provide for you. Can I tell you that's still true today? God doesn't just give you a purpose. He will provide for you. He'll give you the strength that you need to do the things that he wants you to do. He will put you on a path and he does not leave you to yourself. He says, I am with you wherever you go to the ends of the earth. I will provide for you. I am Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He gave us a purpose. He gave us provision. Have you ever had trouble getting your kids to eat at dinner time? <laughs> you know, it boggles my mind sometimes. How much parents have done to provide that meal on that plate for that moment. We paid the rent. We paid the mortgage. We went to the grocery store. Mom spent the time to cook that macaroni and cheese. And we, we bought a plate. 
Maybe it's a paper one or a plastic one. Well, we bought that for you. We bought that table. We bought that chair. We bought the clothes on your back, you little squirming monster. And you're going to sit there and say, I don't want it. (laughs) Eat your dinner. I'm providing for you. I'm doing, I wonder if God feels like that sometimes. God has put you in the place where he, right where he wants you to be, with all the responsibilities, with everything that he wants, and he says, I give you the strength. I've sent my Holy Spirit. If you're saved here, God sent his Holy Spirit to provide for you wisdom, strength, understanding, revelation. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak to you. He will tell you things that I was not able to tell you. And what do we do? I'd rather watch TV. Fortnite, all day, all night, baby. (laughs) Oh, I just got somebody. I don't know who it was. God says, I've saved you for such a time as this. I think there's still a few sinners out there in Virginia Beach. I'm not sure. Haven't checked lately. There might still be a few sinners out there. Whose job is that? Do you think that God has provided enough wisdom, correction, understanding for us to win this lost city? I believe he has. And the last thing we see in this scripture is not only did he give them a purpose, he gave them the provision, but he also graciously gave them a prohibition. Verse 17, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let me just take a moment to remind you. God will never limit your freedom except when he knows it's going to cause you great harm. Whenever God says no, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. Please, don't touch that. It's the parent with the small child, and there's a hot bowl of boiling spaghetti on the stove. And what do we tell our children? Don't touch that. If you touch that at the wrong moment, you can pull that pot on your head, and you can destroy your body, your face. You can burn. You will have to spend the next three months in the hospital. Right? And we say, you're not going to touch that because it's going to be bad for you. And I want to tell you, every time you find a prohibition in the Bible, you ought to say thank you. When God said, do not lie, you know why? Because when you live a life of spinning lies and tales and weaving a web of deception, you're going to get caught in it. It's going to hurt you. When the Bible says, do not commit adultery, do not live in sexual fornication and sin, he says, you better not do that. You know why? Because you're going to destroy yourself. Your mind, your body, and your soul will be all consumed by sexual sin. When the Bible says, don't be jealous, don't be envious, don't be filled with pride, it's not because God's trying to clamp your style. It's not because he's trying to be a killjoy. He's saying, don't hurt yourself like that. It's God's grace and mercy. He says, Adam, you have a whole garden full of trees, man. Pick whichever one you want, but this one, if you eat of this one, it's going to hurt you. You're going to die. Don't touch this one, please. 
And Adam said, okay, yes, sir. And we don't know for, for how long he was successful. For how long Adam and Eve there in the garden, living in the presence of God until the temptation come. And when they did take of that tree, it did exactly what God said. They didn't keel over in that moment, kick the bucket on the site. But it started the process of death, didn't it? Every time you get sick, every time you get the sniffles, it's because Adam and Eve, they started the process of death in you. He gave them a purpose, provision, and a prohibition. And I want to close on this point tonight as we bring this to a a conclusion. I want to remind you about the incredible authority. Everybody say authority. You and I as believers in a living God, we have incredible amounts of authority. Now, I want to just take a moment to remind you that, I, that this is not true of sinners. So if you're not right with God tonight, I want to give you hope because there's an opportunity this evening to repent of your sins and become a believer in Jesus and to trust him for the salvation of your soul. But everything I'm saying between now and the moment that I say bow your heads and close your eyes, this is not for the sinner. This is for the saint. Am I being clear tonight? For the saint of the living God, for those of us who have been forgiven and set free from our sins, I want you to know tonight You have been given authority from God. Authority for what? Authority to speak. To speak. Look at this in verse 19, the verse we started with. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. Oh, I wish you could catch this tonight. We know tonight that Adam, he could not create anything in his own power. God is the creator. We know that Adam, there's nothing overly supernatural about. He can't wave a magic wand and say, let there be a lion king. Let there be an elephant. No, we understand God is the creator. And so as I'm preaching this, don't think that I'm slipping into the uh, name it and claim it, blasphemous uh, doctrine of the charismatic uh, you know, world that's out there that blab it and grab it. You know, uh, let there be a Ferrari and poof, that God's going to bring a Ferrari into my life. That's not what I'm talking about. But what we are looking at in this scripture is that God made these amazing creatures of the earth. God made them. And he says, now, now what we need to do, now that they're created, Adam, I've got a job for you. I want you to name them. I want you to use the authority that I've given to you. The ability. See, this is the thing that sets mankind apart from the animal kingdom. This is why you are not a monkey. And this is why you did not come from a monkey. Because you have an ability that monkeys do not have and dolphins. And yes, there are some smart animals out there. There are trainable animals. But you have something that these other animals do not have. You have authority from God. The same way when God said, let there be light, and instantly the molecules of the universe lit up. 
They had to obey his command. God created Adam and Eve in his image. He created them with the stamp of the Almighty, approved by God. And one of the ways that we show that image is with our ability of speech, conversation, speaking life. So God made the animals, and then God says, Adam, your job is to use this special ability to name the animals. And look at what it says. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each creature, God says, okay, if that's what you call it, Adam, then that's what I'm going to call it. Do you see that? He says, Adam, here's here's this crazy looking weird thing. What are you going to call it? He says, I shall call it cheetah. And he says, God says, okay, then we shall call it cheetah. And God brought this big old roly-poly thing to Adam. And he says, what are you going to call that? And Adam says, hippopotamus. And God says, well, okay, we're going to call it hippopotamus. And he brings another crazy-looking one. It looks kind of half of this and half of the other. And God says, Adam, what are you going to call this one? I shall call it platypus. (laughs) Good job, Dave. And God says, huh? Okay, I, that's what Adam said. So we're going to call it platypus. Now, can I, let me just remind you, God was far more qualified to do this job. Right? right? He's God. He's unlimited in his ability and wisdom and strength and, and creativity. And yet God takes this opportunity to allow Adam to exercise his authority. Right here we have a lesson. When it comes to speaking life, God allows you to speak things, and then he will honor the things that you say. If you're saved here tonight, that's why you're saved. Because somewhere along the way, you prayed a prayer and you said, God, I'm a sinner, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. God heard your words, and he says, that person just asked for forgiveness. And based on the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed, then I can give them what they asked for. Isn't that incredible? This is why prayer is so powerful. You can go into a prayer closet. Nobody needs to hear you. Nobody needs to record your voice. There is a God in heaven who has his ear open to the things that you, yes, you are saying. Little old you. And you can say, God, I'm struggling with this. And you know what God does? He says, oh, I hear that they're struggling. I'm going to give them strength. And you can go in your prayer closet and you can say, oh, Lord, that person is having a hard time with their finances. Could you possibly help them? And God hears your little word and your little prayer from little Virginia Beach, Virginia, on little old earth. Oh, they're there in the corner of the universe. And God says, okay, I heard what they said. I'm going to do something. This is a picture of the authority that you and I have as believers. God brought the animal to him. Adam said, that's the animal. That's the name. And God said, okay, Adam, I agree with what you said. Isn't it amazing when Jesus came to the earth and did his ministry, he would, he, there would be people that come to him 
and he's, they'd say, please pray for me. He would lay his hands on them, and then he would make a statement that was incredible. He would say, it is your faith that made you well. He didn't take credit. Did Jesus heal them? Yes, of course he did. But he said it was your faith. It was you. You believed, and you spoke, and you cried out. And I obviously, I've got the power to heal anything, but it was you. You're different from the rest because you spoke it. So let me ask tonight, what about you? Every one of us is facing decisions. We've got an animal that we need to name. You've got a problem. And you're going you're gonna to be the one that puts a name on it. You've got a, a little rebellious child in your house. And you're going to put a name on it. And God is going to honor that name. You can call it useless and worthless if you want to. And God says, well, they said it. Or you can call that child and you can say, you have a future and a hope. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to tend and I'm going to keep and I'm going to watch over you. And God says, I honor that. You've got a problem in your life. You've got a problem keeping a job. You've got a problem keeping a bank account. You're going to be the one that names it. And God's going to be the one that honors it. You have authority tonight either to speak death into your situation or to speak life. You have authority. My call tonight, my prayer, is that there be a few people here tonight that catch this. Say, I'm going to start naming some things so that God can start doing some miracles. This is not your power. We don't have any power. All we do is God listens to what we say, and he does according to our word. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're going to bring this service to a close. As our eyes are are closed, as our heads are bowed for just a moment, we come into this service on this Wednesday night. And you know, this world is a crazy place. There's a whole lot of sinning happening in this crazy world. There's a whole lot of temptation that the enemy brings. There's a whole lot of evil on every hand. And the Bible says that there is an inner enemy that works against the kingdom of God. It's your flesh, the part of you that does not want to serve God. There's part of you that doesn't want to pray. There's a part of you that doesn't want to come to church. There's a part of you that wants to run away from God. That's called your flesh. It's the inner enemy that keeps you from doing God's will. And as we come into this world, we are pre-programmed for sin, for rebellion against God. Apart from Him, we are His enemies. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.